Hi, this is Jack's Corner, where I discuss issues on society and culture and life here in America. Hello everyone, welcome back to Jack's Corner. I'm here with the Duchess, with Veronica, and she's actually here to share some more of her manuscripts. And she's got so many, I think, that, you know, she needs to share as much as she can. Today is August 16th, 2021, Monday. I'm going to try and announce the date on the podcast whenever I do make a podcast so we know where we're at with our script. Okay. All right. Well, here I am. Thank you for inviting me back, Jack. And uh, so I'm going to first read off. Now, these stats uh, were collected in 2014, and I know since this these stats, they've changed. But the US, U.S. Bureau of Statistics out of Washington, D.C. said there were 6,851,000 Americans in corrections. Wikipedia states that USA has the highest rate of locking up their citizens. One in 36 human beings are locked up. In other words, 2.8% of our population. Now, that was back in 2014. I'm so sure it's more Fast now. forward now, yeah. USA also, at this point, held 25% of world prisoners. Germany, 76 people per every 100,000. Spain, 140 out of every 100,000. China, 124. It's pretty staggering. One out of 36 human beings back in 2014. We're talking literally an entire state of people are held in corrections. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, most of us, I've said this before, most of us probably know somebody who's been in jail or in some oh, kind yeah. of prison. If we haven't been, then our our lover or our mate or our brother, one of our relatives, the statistics guarantee that. So what I'm going to read is something that I wrote in um, 9-20-1988. It's called Gaining Power. This is page 96. In prison, there is a stultifyingly cruel monotony. The predictability of day-to-day life stagnates the mind with its lack of change in its drab simplicity. Activities, scenarios, conversations, even what appear to be changes, all become a source of contempt. The undercurrent of familiarity pulls one down, drowning them in the repetitiveness of it all. Changes are not really even changes, just part of a homogenous whole that lacks any hope of originality. It is a situation similar to having to find creative variations to a numerical sum such as 2 plus 2 equals 4 minus 0 equals 4, 1 plus 3 equals 4, etc., The extent to which one can manipulate these terms are minimal, and with time so are the relationships within a prison on any given level. This stagnancy attacks the senses, the mind's need for stimuli, and even its ability to exercise creativity. Atrophy sets in, an atrophy that cripples the long-term prisoner inescapably. Therein lie perhaps lie the hidden pound of flesh extracted that society has yet to address or accept responsibility for. The injury against the individual will remain throughout their entire life, I have been told. 
Yet due to the invisibility of such wounding, no real attention is given, no compensation is made, and this sacred vulnerable area in a human being is where I attest the harshest victimization of a prisoner is recorded. Their eventual readjustment to free society may, from outside observation, appear poor due to the ex-con's faulty decision-making capacity, and such lack on their part is often cast off on the individual's basic laziness or wildness characteristically part of them even prior to their incarceration. But those of us inside know better. Long-termers leave prison with a delayed stress syndrome. Similarly do the Vietnam vets, or any vets. Our symptoms are the same. It is the death of change, the witness of abuse, the lack of fairness and justice. The knowledge is bred within that deprivation and victimization on every conceivable level. The lack in the excesses of what should never be an excess it is the complete yielding to one's own impotence while having battled every moment to resist such surrender. Once that impotence is realized, there is only self-power, a false power indeed, in the sense that it cannot battle and win over the state's omnipotence, the prison system itself, rather born from this knowledge, willed by our own basic intrinsic need to claim self, we are reduced in prison to a synthetic and artificial concept of power. We as a species claim self and recognize our separation from others in the world by our own ability to manipulate objects and events outside of ourselves, to cause things outside of ourselves to respond. The prisoner once accepting this ability to cause responses to occur given the isolated nature of prison, and understanding that through the very act of losing one's legitimacy in society's eyes, that such power is no more, must find compensation, adaptation, or psychological restoration, will just be defeated. As a means of assuaging the psychological terror realized by one's powerlessness, and in efforts to achieve a sense of safety and psychological security, former values transmutate. The mind's focus is redirected, and new boundaries are established, new concepts of survival emerge. What is defined as radicalism and hardcore by outsiders becomes a sign of health and maturity to the insiders, and I venture to say those individuals that cross over and make this transformation would be, had they been transported into a free society, become pillars of a community, and persons of extraordinary worth, for they provide such a service within the walls. There should be a terrific distinction made, however, about those that mutilate in the process of coming into their self-power. But first, self-power should be defined. In the conventional sense, it is understood as what a person is able to will forth from within themselves. In this sense, it qualifies, yet the extensions of that willing, the actions performed by that will, are to an outsider irrecognizably difficult and different. So much so 
that it is impossible for them to translate to a non-initiate. For example, a person is sentenced to 10 years in prison and while there is fined with an additional charge of a serious nature that extends their minimum term, say adding five more years. Now from an outsider's point of view, it seems inconceivable that anyone truly wanting freedom would be so careless as to commit another offense that will prolong their stay. However, the imprisoned individual may have in fact secured his actual health by committing the offense. That is not to say the added time contributes to the prisoner's well-being. It most certainly does not. But if the act committed was one affirmed the prisoner's self by way of exercising self-power, such as a, quote, offense is actually a beneficiency. Here's an example. I just came out of IMU, Intensive Management Unit. I'd been in isolation for, oh, years at this point. And now I'm on a contract where I'm not allowed to touch another human being. Well, after years of not having been touched by a human being, except for when handcuffs are put on me, when I put my wrists, I face my back to the door, there's a flap that opens, I put my wrists out this flap, then the guard touches my wrist to secure the handcuffs before the door is open. That human touch, that human touch is huge. Now I'm out of intensive management unit and I'm on the max side with this contract that says I cannot touch another human being. Although the guards could touch me, I cannot touch anyone. I'm walking down the hall and there is an older woman who has a crippling disease and she's at the water fountain and water sometimes would spill over and make people slip. This woman was pretty infirm. I watch her and she starts to slip and her head is going to hit the hard concrete. I instinctually, compassionately, knowing it's against the rules, reach my arms out, protect her head and her back, and rescue her and save her from hitting the concrete. For this, I have committed an offense. I have broken my contract and am thrown back in intensive management unit isolation. Why? Because I touched another human being. It doesn't matter that I saved a woman's potential life. What matters is that I broke my contract. See, that's, that's, I have an issue with that because how do you really rehabilitate anybody in prison if this is the way you're going to treat them? Well, this was precisely my argument when I went to my infraction hearing as they gave me another six months in isolation. And I said, what human being is going to watch an elderly person slip in front of them knowing that they're going to maybe break their neck, certainly crack their head? Get hurt. Right. right. Oh, without a doubt. It, it was going to be a bad fall. To me, it was worth the sacrifice. That's just one of the times. There were other incidents um, of compassion and humanity I expressed that caused me to stay in the hole so long, which may explain why when I finally did get out of maximum security, there were 
80 inmates cheering for me and illegally coming and giving me hugs, going against the rules, going against, they were in um, an area that we're not supposed to be in. I wonder if they got infractions for hugging. No, they didn't. They actually didn't. I don't know what guards were on at the time, but yeah, that was, that's just one story. So I'll finish with the manuscript. Recall that normal methods of expressing adulthood are taken from the prisoner. Recall that the individual has reckoned with her own impotency and has no means of taking back her adulthood. The state has removed her identity and she is redefined as less than. All prisoners share this status, whether they are psychologically strong enough to face the reality of it or not. It remains true. No matter what they say or do, their status will not alter, nor will the circumstances or environment they are locked within. Given the severity of their punishment for resisting the authority imposed upon them, i.e. prison administrators and guards outside police agencies, courts, and the society at large who has renounced them and thereby removed them from their natural state of equality, the prisoner's sense of self begins to not recognize that so-called authority. This is far from the abandonment of a moral sense. It is to make, on the other hand, a complete act of self-responsibility, individualistically. The responsibility is immense, as it demands the individual to formulate opinions for oneself and to assess herself as an independent organism alienated from the larger whole while still balancing the needs that organisms' healthy livelihood that are intrinsically linked within on an interdependency with the larger world outside herself. So that means helping another human being. To live in this manner is to live precariously in prison, though not in, through not intent, but it is a concomitant, for it is considered out-and-out rebellion. Health of spirit in prison is considered akin to psychopathy on the streets. It breeds disruption to uniformity, and such persons are like beacons of light that visually starve prisoners grope toward for guidance. And they did that with me. They are perceived as people who have resurrected from the dead and are imbued with a superhuman capacity for not just survival, but successful self-identity. Such peer respect undermines the power of the state's sheer ruthless authority, as the former constitutes a freely given expression of respect versus the latter's demanded condition of respect by brutal means. And that is, you know, one of the conundrums of being a long-term incarcerated person uh, was waking up to the fact that the more humane I was, um, the more I was punished. So it it was quite shocking to me. And I would go to the hearings. They would infract me saying, you weren't allowed to touch so-and-so, you know, give them a hug or share your food or da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? And I would say, wait a minute. I'm a human being just like you. Let's look at humanity as the rule. Right. What is humane? What is if I'm a bad person, I'm going to not give. I'm going to take. I'm going to hurt others. I'm going to exploit. 
but you punish me for doing the opposite because I protect the girls that are being raped and you tell me I'm bad because I tell the bullies back the fuck down Mm -hmm. or come through me. And I, I meant it and I would be punished. Those kinds of things, I don't care. Even to this day, I would still protect the vulnerable, the elderly, the young, um, against the bullies, because there are bullies in prison. There are some people that have given into this badness for whatever reason, and instead of becoming more compassionate, they um, they turn hardened and they become abusers. And prison is full of abusive people, and a Society lot of victimization. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, and I think every one of us. You know, we need to look into our own families, into our own relationships, and we need to set boundaries. We need to stand up for what is right, even if it means that we have to sacrifice something. It's wrong for our children to be neglected or hurt. We have to stop it. It's wrong for our loved ones to be abused or anyone to be abused, whether it's a stranger on the street. Don't stand for it. Take a stand. Listen to the inner voice of a conscience. And if you don't have one, listen to the outside world that tells us, love your neighbor as yourself. Turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. Do Just do good overall. Do good. And if you don't know how to do good, keep your eyes open, listen and watch. And if you can read, read the Bible. Honestly, I'm not trying to preach about Christianity or biblical things or Judaism, but there are a lot of life lessons there that are timeless. And we all have hearts. And in your heart of hearts, it feels so much better to see a smile on another human being's face or a child than to see tears. Yeah. And to make someone hurt. Just to be able to help someone, too. Yes. It can go a long way. Even without them asking. We had a situation earlier today. We went to the corner store, and I saw this woman that I see pretty often pushing a shopping cart around. I think she stays at different places. I think she just continues to move. Homeless. But we seen her today, and Veronica got out of the car to give her $5 because I had $5 in my pocket. And this is the second time we did that. Yesterday or the day before, I said, you know, pull over. I want to give her some money. She didn't ask. She didn't have to ask. People shouldn't have to ask for help. It should be something that wells within your own heart and soul. Yeah. It's not because we're rich. But we we learned our lesson. We're not going to extend anything farther than that because the person that we had helped out before the homeless woman that we had helped out before we now have a restraining order for her so she she was out of control and so you had a pretty bad drinking problem yeah so what you do is you do things you know carefully and at a distance you know um you can donate money to different charities that will help Others, if, you know, you can't do the one-on-one. Clothes, food. Yeah. There are so many different ways, but 
first look in your own home. Look in your own home. Look at your brothers or sisters or relatives or um, stepchildren. And if they're in pain, protect them, comfort them, love them. It's not hard. And you'll feel so, so much reward for it. And it's nothing that you're going to get a gold medal for. But believe me, you get a gold medal from me and from humanity. And that's really the most important thing in life is caring, caring for other living creatures, whether it be a dog, a cat. Um, or helping your neighbor. Helping a neighbor, right. And you don't have to be wealthy. You have, my father used to say, Veronica, if you have one chicken and you see a starving person, you give them half of what you have. You don't ask. You just do and keep going. And if that's all you can do, that's what you do. You don't have to wait for someone to beg. Please, please, can you spare a dime? You know, we can see with our own eyes. We see where people need help, where children need help. And if you see a child is off the rails, they're acting out, they're not doing the stuff that they're supposed to be doing, and they're misbehaving, embrace them. Have patience. Embrace them. And say, I love you. I love you. It's okay. Go ahead. Wail. Hit me. I love you. Embrace them. Embrace them. Let them cry it out. Let them cry it out. There's a reason why it's happening. These behaviors don't just come out of nowhere. So that's my message for today, and I thank you all for listening. This is Veronica. Peace and love to the world. Well, thank you for sharing that piece of information with us, that, that segment of your manuscript. I enjoyed it very much. And, uh, you know, prison, prison can do many things for people. It really gets people to look inside themselves and how they react to certain situations and people and ideas. And it's just, you know, um, and you work with the system that many times can be against you, especially if you're a humanitarian. Correct. It's terrible. It's terrible that that had to happen to you. But I'm, I'm glad that you can talk about it now. And, you know. I just want to thank you for sharing that. And is there anything else you want to talk about today? No, I think I've covered enough for this afternoon. I want to thank you again for having me and thank the audience for listening. And I hope that you learned something from this and that you take it to heart. God all bless right. you all and all right. much love to well, you. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Remember, we have a YouTube channel, Museum Americana, and we have a Patreon channel, Museum Americana, that's www.patreon.com forward slash Museum Americana. We'll see you in our next episode of Jack's Corner. Bye for now. Bye-bye.